Well, hey, so glad that you've joined us. This is part five of the series we're calling Summer Cruise, where we look at different boats in the Bible, and we're getting some handlebars. We're not just reading the story, uh, but there is application. Uh, Jesus doesn't give us the word of God as just a descriptor. Uh, some of it is descriptive, but, but many, much of the Bible is prescriptive. There are, there are prescriptions within these stories that, if applied to our life, helps us become more like Christ, and that's what we're doing in this series. Uh, just yesterday, I, I got a, a text message from a family member that one of my friends uh, was working on his uh, semi-truck, and the, the, the truck fell off of the um, uh, off of the, the bars holding it together and it crushed him and killed him instantly and, and we grew up together and he, him and his two younger brothers we all were in school together and, and uh, uh, at the same church and uh, their mom is in despair right now uh, sinking a couple of days ago a family in our church on their anniversary to celebrate their anniversary they're at the Shriners Hospital uh, seeing their little boy go through a, a complicated and, and serious surgery. Um, and on their anniversary, they're praying, and, and it, it can feel like a, like a sinking moment. This past month, we've had friends of ours that are on the verge of calling it quits in their marriage because they've come up against a storm, and, and now this is brewing, and they don't know whether to stop trying to row, whether to just bail, uh, or try to, keep, try to keep going to the next place, and they, they feel like they're in the middle of a storm. As you walked in the doors, you may not have had the, the physical description of the, uh, the, the rain jackets on your physical body, as you saw some of our, our ushers and greeters have. Um, some were saying that I'm going to use the sprinkler system today in service. That's a joke. I mean, I'm gonna, not going to do that. That's a great idea, though. We do need to do that. Um, we don't not get, you know, if you're sitting in the front three rows, you know, you may get a little spit zone. But other than that, no, no water. Um, but that's just a, maybe that's how some of you look on the inside because you've had to prepare for a storm in, in your life. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And as always, to, to join us here, not only are we joined here in the Lufkin location, uh, but those that are watching our live stream on the Timber Creek app or on Facebook, but also we have a full-blown church service going on in two locations in Dieball, the Dieball Correctional Center and our Duncan unit, the Duncan unit uh, prison there. Uh, 300 guys joining us in those services right now. We love you guys. You're part of our church family. Welcome today. So we're all going through different storms in our lives at different seasons of our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about. In fact, this, this story doesn't really happen so much in the boat. It's what's happening around the boat. And this story is in the Gospels. It's in three different places uh, of, of the Gospels. In Matthew 14, Mark chapter 6, and John chapter 6. And we're going to pull a couple of details from each one of those vantage points of, of, of how this story unfolds. But I'd love to just jump right in and start, start uh, telling you the story. We're going to read from Mark the majority of, of our scripture today. This story starts out, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Notice he made them get into the boat. It wasn't their own accord. It wasn't their own plan. Jesus made them get into the boat and he's omniscient. He knows what's going to happen in this story and yet he still makes them get in the boat and go on ahead of him. 
to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Now, there's a crowd here and the word immediately. When you hear the word immediately, obviously something was happening before. And then immediately, now this happens. No time passes. What is going on? Well, let me explain to you real quick the, 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 the story that's happening before the story. Um, this is a, a terrible day in Jesus' life. Uh, earlier that day, Jesus had been told uh, that his family member, a man who had prepared the way for Jesus, a preacher in the wilderness, a man of God, his relative, John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus as Jesus began his three and a half years of ministry, he gets word from some of John's followers that Herod, at a birthday celebration, in order to make a mockery and to please his wife and daughter, he brought John the Baptist in from the wilderness and he beheads his family member. He kills him. And then, to, and then to make matters worse, he flaunts it by placing his head on a silver platter and it's there in the party. It's a, what a terrible moment. Jesus is completely divine, but he's also completely human. And the Bible talks about he, as he was going to go away and spend time in solitude but what happened is he's going, people are noticing Jesus and they have many needs and the crowd begins to swarm Jesus wherever he's going. And in that same morning, the crowd starts showing up dozens by dozens by dozens by dozens. And, and they say, will you, will you pray for our child? Will you pray for me? Will you pray for my dad? And, and he's teaching them and he's praying for them and he's healing them and they're just swarming about him and he just wants to, to get away, the Bible says. And yet they're there all day Long, all day long. It gets to be close to evening time and they've been there for so long that the people are hungry and Jesus yet has compassion on them again. And he says, we got to give these guys something to eat before we leave. And the disciples are like, there's no Chick-fil-A's open. Jesus, it's Sunday. We got no nuggets. We can't do it. And he's like, well, we're not going to go to Costco to do this. We don't need a Chick-fil-A nearby. He says, find me something. And sure enough, just a little Lunchable from a boy's sack lunch. A little to-go box from Red Lobster. Some tilapia and Cheddar Bay biscuits. He takes it. He prays over it. He spreads it out. And thousands and thousands and thousands are fed in that miracle moment on the hillside. We say feeding the 5,000, but that was 5,000 men. It doesn't account for the children and the women that were there. It could have been up to 15,000 people that Jesus feeds with a, with a with to-go box. Um, and, and then after all of that, it's exhaust. Anybody ever had a long, exhausting day and you love your kids, you love your spouse, but you don't want to see anybody? You want to get in bed and turn on Netflix or just get in bed and turn on nothing? Close the eyes and just, and, and your kids, uh, we haven't had supper. Shut up. We're hungry. I have no compassion on thee. I'm thirsty. Suck your thumb, you know. You know, that's my response sometimes. Because I'm not a perfect father. But you know, when, when you and I say, I'm hungry, Jesus. He's the perfect father. You never get that response from Jesus. Go, go to bed. Like he has compassion on you right where you are. It doesn't mean that what you're asking for will always be delivered um, in the time that you wish it would be delivered or what you are hoping for is what is placed in, before you. But he never ignores you. 
So here he has fed thousands and he's still tired. And he says to his disciples, go get on the boat, meet up with me later. I'm sick and tired of you looking at you, frankly. You know, I got to get alone, some alone time. And so while he's dismissing the crowd and saying, see y'all later, God bless you, good night. They're getting on the boat, heading to where they're going to meet up, and the story continues. After leaving them, Jesus went up alone on a mountainside to pray. How arrogant of us to think that we can make it through life without spending time alone with Jesus. That Jesus needed to spend time. He's the son of God, but yet he took time away of everybody else, all the busyness, all the calendar, all the crowd, to spend time alone and pray. When evening came, the boat was now in the middle of the lake. It shouldn't have been in the middle of the lake. It's not where, it's the first indicator that something's not right because their journey, they should have just followed the shoreline on the lake to get to where they were going. It should have been just maybe an hour's row, but they had been there for a long time and, they, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, kind of Rolodex that into your memory for a second. The fourth watch of the night, we'll unpack that in a minute. He went out to them walking on the lake. What, what, back up. Walking on the lake? What? Like it's a crazy moment here. He's just walking on the lake. He, he's done some pretty incredible things up to this point, but this is like, whoa, Okay. This is, whoa, water to wine, that was a neat trick. But this dude's walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. I love that little indicator in scripture. Like he doesn't even want to talk to them. He's like, I got to get to where I'm going. <laughs> he was about to pass by him on the lake. Yeah, they're like, row, row, row. He's like, it's like, you know, you know it's you at Walmart when, you, when the people are set up and they're selling something. And they're selling something. You're like, I hope I don't have any cash. I don't want to stop. I want to tell them, all I got is check. All I got is checks or card. They say, we take cards now. And you're like, you know, you're trying to pass by them unless they're Girl Scout cookies, bless God, because I will stop for a thin mint, bless God. What was I talking about? He's trying to get past him just to get to where he's going because he hasn't had some alone time yet just other than what was on the mountainside. He's exhausted. He spent all day. But they saw him walking on the lake and they thought he was a ghost and they cried out because they all saw him and were freaking out. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. What's their response? They, they were completely amazed because they had not understood about the loaves. That's what had happened earlier. We think that just because they're in the Bible that they understand everything. They, they were, they, what is going on? They didn't understand the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. See, they were still trying to figure out the the why behind the what. They had seen miracles, but they were trying to, f they were trying to put two and two together because it wasn't about the, the miracle alone. It was about who he was, not, not what he was doing. 
And so they, they, they were still wrestling. And many times people are looking more for what Jesus will do than who Jesus is. And that's really what we're after today is to see who Jesus is, not just what Jesus does. And you know, this may have happened many, many centuries ago, but all of us can be in that sinking feeling where storms just kind of happen on us all at once. And so if you're here and you don't know if you're sinking or not, sometimes we're not aware until the rain really begins to pour or when the wind really begins to blow. But sometimes we look up and although we've been rowing, we realize, whoa, I'm not where I should be. I'm not where I, I need to be. And that's where our anxiety can lift. That's where panic can set in. That's when we're, we just try and with our own strength kind of muster up enough to, to strain against the wind. And so in this scripture, I just want to unpack a few thoughts today. Uh, and right there in your notes, you can follow along. But, but here are some signs of you having a sinking problem. You might have a sinking problem if, and we see this right here all throughout this story, shared three different ways in the Gospels. Hey, before we go, before we go further, would you just have a prayer with me right there at Dieball and Duncan and right here at Lufkin? Just close your eyes. Miracle worker. Father God, we invite you to do what only you can do in our lives. Reveal to us areas that we're blind to today not so that we can address them ourselves, but so that we can palms up, offer them to you, the great healer, the great physician, the water walking anointed one. We invite you to come into the middle of our story and do what only you can do. Because many of us have done all we can do. Please don't let us leave here the same as we were when we walked in. And we ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. May this message be pregnant with change, pregnant with hope. And I pray that that hope and that change would be delivered into the lives of all of us today. We pray it in your name, amen. Signs if you have a, a sinking problem. First is you and I can't see clearly. And in the book of John, the story says by now it was dark. And we're not talking about America dark. We're talking about Tel Aviv in the first century dark. Okay, we're, not, we're, we're talking about a shore that has no lights. We're not talking about any tower, radio towers with a, a slight red or white flashing light. The, 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 this is major darkness because they're in the middle of the lake. There are, no, there are no street lamps. They can't even get their lanterns because of the wind that's going on. And on top of that, the clouds have come in, the rain has come in, the wind has come in, and it's blocked the stars and the moon. And so this is a very, very crazy moment. And it was an, it was an all of a sudden kind of deal. L Lake Galilee, which I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, uh, Tiberius Lake, sea, sea of Chinnereth, all of that is the same body of water right there in Tel Aviv, Israel today. And, and that, that body of water is next to the Golan Heights. 
It's a politically charged area in the Middle East, but the Golan Heights has all these mountains and, and cold air develops in those mountain peaks and, and, and it will rush down the mountainside and it'll mix quickly with the warm air of the desert of Tel Aviv and that, wa that warm water and it causes sudden sudden moments of weather change, you could be out in the middle and man, just rolling off those Golan Heights, storm could just hit you in a moment's notice. They couldn't see clearly. By now it was dark and the storm had come at them pretty fast. Many of us don't see those storms that come in life. In fact, we say things like, I didn't see that coming. Whoa, I wish I would have seen more clearly. And when you have that sinking feeling, Many times your, your eyesight is, is more hindsight than it is eyesight. Number two, I feel on my own. You know, Jesus had not yet joined them. They were trying in their own strength. And, and maybe when we are struggling in something, whether someone else knows about it or it's just you and you alone, God knows, but you feel like nobody's with you on it. That can be very isolating. It's why in, in the announcements we said there's group leader training today after, after service because we so believe in our groups because it's so important that we not do life alone, that we join together. If you haven't taken next steps at Timber Creek, if you've been dipping your toe in the water, just, just kind of checking it out for the last 17 years, it's time. It's time, everybody. I got to meet some new people today. Third time going in, getting Cafe Roma, coming from Nacogdoches. It Excited about the Nacogdoches location and just excited, excited about what God's doing. I'm so glad to meet new people. And what I want to say to you is whether it's your first time, your third time, or your 37th time, let's take next steps together. Let's take next steps because you ought not be on your own in this thing. Number three, I'm out of my comfort zone. The boat was in the middle of the lake. The problem with in the middle is when you get stuck in the middle and you're trying to row, and you're just as far from the finish as you are from the end, and it's easier to look back and go back than it is to keep pushing against the grain, keep pushing against the wind, and try and finish when you feel like you're stuck in the middle. They were a long way from shore, and when you feel like, ah, oh, why isn't this financial thing, this relational thing, this spiritual thing, this secret thing that nobody else knows that I wish I could just, I could beat this habit, and you feel a long way from shore. You feel out of your comfort zone. And to make matters worse, forces are against you. It, 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 they, they were tossed around. They were battered by the waves. The water grew rough, John says. The wind was against them, Mark describes. The forces are against me. It's like you take three steps forward and two steps back, or two steps forward and three steps back. And, and here's, here's a harder reality. Number five, I am trying, but I'm still failing. And that's when we can really struggle it's not when we just give up and we just let the wind take us out or let the, let the, the ship just capsize. It's when we're trying. It's when we're trying, especially when we're young in Christ and we expect when I follow Christ, all my wildest dreams will come true. It's like voting for Pedro. Sorry, Napoleon Dynamite thing. It's like what, if, we just, if we just accept Christ, everything's going to be perfect. Nah, wrong. That is simplistic thinking because the disciples dealt with all kinds of stuff. And Jesus was right there with them. Jesus himself dealt with all kinds of things. Ultimately, an excruciating execution for you and for me. Forces are against them. And they're trying, but they're still failing. They were rowing hard. And maybe some of you have been rowing, 
and rowing. And you just cannot row. You cannot bite your bottom lip hard enough to get out of this predicament. I want you to know that that's a good moment that God can show up in your life. So um, why is this happening to the disciples? Jesus invited them to get into the boat, told them to get into a boat. Why is this happening? Well, write this down. There are two key causes of storms in my life. There's all kinds of causes, but let me give you the key ones, like the, the greatest ones that can cause storms in your life. Whether, whether you are just trying to scratch the surface on understanding Jesus is the center of your life, or you've been a senior saint for years, Two key causes of storms in your life. And the first one is a little bit more obvious than the second, but it's this, disobedience. Like when the Lord gives us his word, his God-breathed word, and he says, live by this word. And we say, I know, but that's kind of like old, and that was for that culture. And today's day and age doesn't match up with what the Bible says, so let's just kind of do it. You are inviting storms in your life. When you go against, like there's a reason why it's called the narrow road and not the wide open easy road. Because the narrow road is a little bit more difficult than the wide open do it yourself. Whatever feels good to you, boys will be boys, have fun and get after it kind of road. So we, we have to be the kind of people that even though it's harder to say, I, I know it makes sense to, to people on TV, and I, and I know it makes sense to like other people around me, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And, and, and I'm walking this, this, this way. When I disobey, I'm inviting the waves and the wind. It's just a natural. And then we get mad at God. Like we were foolish, we go the opposite way and we say, oh, God, help me out of this. He's like, you like dug the pit, bro. Like, like you, you didn't listen and now you are here. We saw this a couple of weeks ago, Jonah. Jonah disobeyed God. He said, go to Nineveh, tell them about me. They're wicked. You got to go preach against their wickedness, Joe. And so Jonah goes the opposite direction, gets on the wrong boat, and what happens? Storms come into his life. There will, there are, the, the, the storms are going to come out of disobedience. It's a reality of life. But here's the second one. Here's the second one. Here's, here's what else causes storms in your life, and you got to watch out for this one. Just like disobedience, guess what else causes it? Obedience! What? No! That's not... That's not fair, Jesus. <laughs> Life ain't fair, everybody. See, the Bible is clear. It rains on the just and the unjust, on the righteous and the unrighteous. And there are things in your life, storms that you will go through that are allowed by God. In fact, Jesus may even invite you into the boat that will take you into the middle of the storm. I thought this marriage was God's will. It's harder than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I love my wife. And sometimes marriage is hard. It is. Like really hard. Oh, yeah. Well, get it. I see you. And so what we say is, oh, this must not have been God's will, so I'm going to jump ship 
And it may be that Jesus cares more about the character that's developing in the middle of the storm versus your comfort in the middle of that boat that you chose to get on to. You can disobey and be in a storm, and you can obey and be in a storm. So if that's the case, how do we respond? But before we even get to how do we respond to that, I want to remind us of the key character in this story. And guess, what it, guess who it is? It ain't you. And it ain't the disciples. It ain't the boat. And it's not the storm. The key character in this story is Jesus. How does Jesus respond to my struggles? Is he mad? Is he silent? Is he isolated? Is he just on the mountainside praying? Is he really trying to kind of put a hand up and walk by you while you're struggling? How does Jesus respond? Let me give you three things he does in this story. He prays for me before it happens. Jesus prays for me? Like, 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 like what, what, what's crazy is Jesus prays for you. Like, like, I thought he was the son of God. Why does he even need to pray? <laughs> well, uh, mom and dad, have you ever talked to yourself about your kids? I'm going to kill them. <laughs> you know, or, 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 or man, I, oh, they've got to make that right decision. Oh, why did they do that? Oh, man, I hope, I hope they. And it's so important that we not just talk to ourselves, that we talk to our father, right? But Jesus talked to his father, completely divine, but also human. And he talked to his father. He prayed over them. There's this moment where um, all these things are happening and they're trying to figure out who, who Jesus is. And, and Peter steps up and says, I'm going to die for you, Jesus. And, and Jesus goes, bro, like before the cock-a-doodle-doo, you're going to deny me three times. You're, you're going you're to deny me three different times. And Peter's like, uh-uh. You're like, uh-huh. He's like, no way. He's like, Yahweh. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Preacher jokes. <laughs> no, no, no. He says, you're going to deny me thrice. But here's not, that's not how he leaves the story. He goes on. Jesus goes on to communicate to, to Peter. No, Peter. I have what? Prayed for you. I prayed for you that you will not lose your faith. Help your brothers be stronger when you come back to me. See, he already saw it. But he knew that Peter was going to go through a pretty rough time. He knew that Peter was going to go through his own proverbial storm, his own sinking feeling. But he was praying for Peter. See, Jesus isn't taking the position of the mad guy tapping the toe, looking at his watch, waiting for you to come home late from curfew. In fact, Romans, Paul says it like this, Romans 8, who condemns us? Not Christ Jesus who died and then was raised back to life and is now at the right side of God, interceding for us, praying for us. It's why when we pray at the end of almost every single service, I say a little statement like this, and I say it, and I'll say it today too. I say, thank you, Jesus, for not being mad at us, but for loving us so much that you gave us this moment to make things right with you. Because you need to be reminded, he's not mad at you. 
He's not the big man upstairs waiting for the walls to cave in when you walk into a church. (laughs) Nothing shocks him. Nothing shocks him. This may just be the moment where finally you're in the middle of your own lake and he is walking towards you. This July 21, 2019 may have been ordained by God for years because finally you are at the fourth watch of the night. And Jesus is ready to meet you where you are. Because not only does he pray for us, but Jesus sees my struggle. He sees you. He's numbered the hair on your head. He sees the big things. He sees the small things. He sees everything. Bible says in Mark that he saw the disciples straining at the oars. If you, if you rewind a couple thousand years, you get to the story of Job in the Old Testament. And, and Job had lost, absolutely, he was going through a storm in life that was a proverbial storm, having lost his family, having lost his businesses, uh, having been sick and close to, to death. And, and Job makes this announcement in Job chapter 31. He says, he sees everything I do and counts every step I take. Can I encourage you today that God's not looking for some big leaps of faith, but he's waiting for each and every one of us just to take another step. It may not even be noticeable to your wife or to your kids or to you or to your coworkers, but when Jesus sees you, just take, I'm just, just, just like, like, like you can't even, just, just a little bit, just, just a little bit. A baby step is a next step. And some of you, you've taken a next step by just being here today. And Jesus sees that. And he says, come on. Let's keep going. You take a little step in that moment of struggle, that crying out in that moment. The truth is Jesus will come to me at my moment of desperation. He'll come to me at the moment of of, of desperation. Bible said about the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He had dismissed them as it was getting dark so he could go to the mountain to pray. This would have been about 8.30 or 9 p.m. And at the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they have been out there from six to nine hours struggling in this mega storm. They would have been fighting this storm for a long, why does Jesus wait till the fourth watch? Why, why doesn't he show up 30 minutes into the storm? Here's why. Because at minute 30, they're still thinking, we got this. At minute 30, they're still, they're still thinking, remember what we taught you. Come on, get, tighten up on the starboard bow. Hey, keep on rowing, boys. We got this and sometimes Jesus is going to wait long enough to where you finally say, whoa, I can't do this on my own. Wait a second. I don't have enough calculation, mathematics, geometry in my brain to make it without you, Lord. I've got to involve, I got to invite you. I, I am at a struggle here and I am rowing against the wind so hard I can't go any further. And many times that's when we get out of that comfort zone and Jesus is going to develop something in our character that would not have been developed if he showed up early because then you would have just thought it was you biting your bottom lip or it was luck or it was coincidence and he's got to say no 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 no. this is me will you see it for what it really is 
It's not about you or your strength. It's me showing up in the middle of the story. And I know some of you are in that fourth watch and it doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel right that Jesus would wait. I just wanna invite you to respond the way that the disciples respond. So what do you do when you're in that sinking and it's third watch and you were already ready and now it's becoming fourth watch of the night. The question is, how do, how do I respond when I'm sinking? And this is, this is how the disciples, this is their stance. They, they don't calculate it, they just respond. And you and I, we learn from this beautiful story. So the Bible goes on to say, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were, they were terrified. It's a ghost. Ah! And, and I love this. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. He's like, I better fix their theology because next month they're going to be selling. I saw the ghost of Galilee t-shirts on the seashore. Like they're going to be making this into a business. I saw the, the it was Davy Jones of Galilee. Like, like, no, 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 no. It's not a ghost dork. It's me. Okay. It's me. Take courage. It's I. So what do you do in the middle of sinking? First of all, you got to be courageous not in the moment. You have to be courageous in who he is and who Jesus is. It's me. I, the same guy who just fed thousands, it's me. I'm walking on water. I know. It's cray cray. I'm here. I'm in the middle of your storm. It's me. Do not be afraid because it's so easy to be afraid and not have faith, to not see and just really just be terrified. And he's saying, don't do that. Respond. Be courageous. It's, it's me. It's me. Some of you need to remember the name. In fact, when translated into the Hebrew, he doesn't say, take courage, it is I. He says, take courage. And in, and in the Hebrew, it says, I am. I am. It was the same name given to Moses by God in the form of a burning bush. Who should I say to the Pharaoh that sent me? You tell him, I am sent me. I am hope, I am rest, I am peace, I am forgiveness, I am salvation, I am all you will ever need. I, I am faith, I, I am help, I am the rope that you need thrown to you. I am, take courage, it's I. Be courageous in who he is, not, not who you think you are, and who he can be through you. You still with me? Number two. You got to take a risk in faith. See, John and Mark, those, those writers, they leave out a little detail that's huge in this story that many of us have heard if you grew up in church or ever went to a, a VBS. And, and it's the story of Peter. This is the same moment that Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water. Now, Mark and John don't record this part, but Matthew records that in Matthew 14. And here's what it says. Lord, Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Like, like if, if I'm going to say that, if it's you, give me the name of, of my second cousin. You know, like, I'm not going to say make me come out there in the middle of the storm, but that's Peter. Like, he's, he's off, okay? 
If it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. He wants ID first. Listen, you can take a risk, you can take a risk, take a step out in faith, but like check for some ID. If you feel like God has told you something, kind of put that against the litmus test of other people who've heard God speak too. Like, like, God just told me I need to leave this marriage because this is really where God wants me to go. You need, you need to like, you know, iron sharpens iron and let's talk that out in community before you just say, well, God just told me. No, no, no. You got to get some, some ID. Let's get some ID and, and let, let's get it checked by someone who's been around Jesus and heard Jesus and had some talks with Jesus uh, more than even just you have had some of those talks with Jesus. That's why we need each other. It's why we need moments like this to get together, hear the voice of the Lord together and iron sharpen iron. If it's you, tell me to come there. Now, Peter had seen Jesus do some miraculous stuff. Like, like a, a, a couple of months earlier, Jesus came to Peter's mother-in-law's house and was healing all kinds of people. In fact, Peter's mother-in-law was sick and almost dead. And Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And some scholars believe that's why Peter denied him. <laughs> because he healed the mother-in-law. I'm kidding. I mean, that's not in the Bible. It is in the Bible that he healed her, but it's not that, you know. If it's you, tell me to come out there. Why did you heal Gertrude? You know, it's like. Well, come on, Jesus said. Come on. I mean, Jesus is an adventurous God. If you think it's safe to be with Jesus, I want you to know it's safe, but it's going to be risky. You're safe. But there's going to be some steps of courage that are required of you and of me. Come on, baby. Let's do this. So Peter, like the rest of them are like, oh, there goes Peter. What in the world? You know. So Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. Whoa, can I give you a great truth here? Peter understood something miraculous in that moment, something divine that only God could have deposited in his spirit. It was safer for Peter to be out on the water with Jesus than to be without Jesus in the middle of his own boat. Some of us think, if I can just keep the boat together, if I can just keep the money coming in, if I can just keep the 401k, if I can just keep this on, on all four wheels and keep a, a wheel out of the ditch, then I'm going to be okay, and I can do it on my own. And the truth, the, the, just the truth is, you will never be safer with all kinds of fortresses of solitude without Jesus than you would be walking in crazy water, uh, not knowing what's going to happen next but Jesus being there calling you to that place that's the safest place you could ever be I am preaching better than you're responding this morning I am I am I need you to respond 22 percent better okay and I'll go faster okay I <laughs> preach preach <laughs> all right moving on number three not only do you got to risk, risk, step out and risk and step out in faith, but you got to stay focused because what happens next? Peter had the faith, but he didn't have the focus because the very next scripture, when Peter looked around at the high waves, it's a, it is a fundamental in baseball. Keep your eye on the ball. It's a fundamental in golf. Keep your eye on the ball. 
It's, it's, a fundam, it's just a fundamental deal. Stay focused. What are you doing out there, son? This is the T-Ball Championships, bless God. Stop picking daisies out there and focus on the game. The way parents talk to their kids out on the field, and I'm guilty, what if the roles were reversed and kids started talking to us like that? Dad, get up. Get up. It's time to go. That promotion isn't going to win itself. You've been in the same job, making the same money for the last three years. It's time to hustle. You got to hustle, hustle, hustle. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on, Mom. SpaghettiOs, let's go. We can do better than that. Let's get it, let's get it, let's get it. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the ball. Focus. Don't you cry. Don't you cry. There's no crying in the kitchen. I'm sorry. <laughs> so let's just, let's finish this up. Let's finish this up. Peter looked around at the high waves and he was terrified. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And I love this word again. Not only were they immediately supposed to get in the boat, but Jesus was immediate in his rescue. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. Now, he wasn't immediate in the moment of despair. But when we need him most, he will not leave us or forsake us. He won't. And Jesus reaches out his hand. You could never reach far enough to reach heaven. The truth is Jesus leaves heaven to reach out to you and to me. And there's no amount of stretches that could ever get you to reach high enough to touch him. He, he closes the gap on us. He caught him. And there, here's what we, we have so misinterpreted this because we don't, it's like a text message. Anybody ever gotten a text message from your spouse or from someone and they read it like, you a little faith. And you're like, oh, question mark, emoji, other signs. <laughs> and then you're responding in all caps. No, no, Jesus, you got to understand, you have little faith. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? It's not a reprimand. It's an identification of what Peter had. Listen, Jesus says you don't need a lot of faith. In fact, it was the people with no faith that were still in the boat in the moment. At, at, least, at least Peter had little faith to try and get out of the boat. It was the people with zero faith that we really ought to be concerned about. Because the Bible says that with a little faith like the size of, I don't know, it doesn't have to be the size of a Mini Cooper. It doesn't have to be the size of a squirrel. It doesn't have to be the size of a tiny little church mouse. The faith all had just the size of a little tiny small mustard seed. And you can move mountains, so certainly you can walk on water. And he says, you got to trust me, trust me, have faith in me. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? It wasn't about the amount of faith. It was about the doubt in the little faith. So number four, don't doubt the little faith you have. You say, I don't know how ever God could ever use me. Or man, I just have done so much junk in my life. It, it feels like it's, a, it's kind of an exercise of the, of the minuscule to come in and go to church because of how much stuff's in my past. Oh, go with the little faith you have. Go with the mustard seed. That's what requires to take the tiny little step. He's not asking for you to take leaps and bounds. He's saying, walk with me. 
Take steps with me. Don't doubt what the little faith you have because little faith can grow. No faith can become little faith with a miracle of God in your life. And little faith can grow as you continue to trust and keep your eyes not on the storm around you, but on the one who walks on what you're sinking in. He, like, like he is so far above the stuff that you are drowning in. He stands firm-footed and can pull you out of stuff that would, would sink other people but doesn't sink Jesus. Don't, have, don't, don't doubt. Strengthen that faith that you have. Finally, praise him right where you are. When my finances get together, when I finally figure out the marriage, when... When I stop having that, 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 that addiction, then, I'll, then I'm just going to praise the Lord. You're, to, you are, you're designed to praise him after, before, and in the middle of the storms you and I face. It keeps our clarity to praise him right, to praise him right there. When Jesus climbed into the boat, the, the wind died down, and in those who were in the boat, they worshiped him saying, whoa, truly you are the son of God. In a couple of weeks, I'll talk about Paul and how he had a shipwreck. And I'm going to talk about the Titanic a little bit during that week. And some, uh, some small known facts about the Titanic. See, I want to tell you something. The Titanic was, was, was displayed as the unsinkable ship. It's unsinkable. And on its maiden voyage, it sank. There has never been an unsinkable ship made except for one. This tiny little wooden boat on the Sea of Galilee, not because of the boat, but because when Jesus is in the boat, it's unsinkable. It's unsinkable. You may be tired of treading water. Jesus is walking to you today. He's not forgotten you. He's, he's not blind to you. He sees you. He's prayed over you. To this intersection of your life, good, bad, or crazy waves. Now, now, now here's though, this story isn't even really here for, for the storm. Look, look what Jesus does at the very end. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. What, now that's like a hard right turn in the story here. Like you would, have felt, you would have thought they were completely amazed for they had not been taken under by the storms. And Jesus says, I am your shelter. Like, like that's how you think the story is, would end. They had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They, they, didn't, they, they had seen a miracle, but they hadn't really seen what Jesus was really trying to do because Jesus never performs a miracle just to perform a miracle. It's always to point people back to him. A miracle is a sign Jesus is the destination. If you're driving to Dallas and you're going to go up the way through Tyler in Texas 49 and it says Dallas or I-20, you don't stop at the sign and say, we're here, kids. 
Let's get out and let's set up camp next to the sign. No, you're going to Dallas. The destination is Dallas. You just see a sign that points you in the right direction. That's what miracles are. They're not the destination. How many people want to get around and want to dance around miracles? That's great. I want to see miracles. We see miracles every week here when people bow a knee to Christ. But it's not about the sign. It's about the destination that it would point to Jesus. And that's the whole thing he's doing. He's not trying to show them that he can walk on water. Look at me here. I'm walking on water or the wind's going to obey me. No, 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 no. Here's the biggest lesson to learn in all this. They, they didn't understand the loaves. They thought it was about feeding their stomachs and he says no 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 no. it's not about your it's not about you I'm the bread of life that's what he says and you, you're gonna be hungry tomorrow I will satisfy you always I'm all you need later on in John he heals a blind man and it's it's not to, to let people know I I'm the one that takes optic nerves and reforms them inside the cranium he says, no, 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 no. I, I healed the blind man, not just so he could see and it could be a testimony, but so people would know I'm the light of the world. That that's what I do. I'm the light. He shows us all throughout scripture, the woman who's at the well of Jacob and she's not on her fourth relationship. She's on her fifth. And the man she's with isn't even her husband. And he says, you come to this, you come to this well to satisfy that thirst, but I'm the living water. So what's the biggest lesson to learn in all of this? It's not how to walk on water. It's not how to cry out in the middle of your storm. Here's what you need to take with you today and tomorrow and the next day and the next year and all throughout. And it's something you got to teach to your kids and your grandkids. And it's something you got to stand on when the work gets crazy and the storm clouds start brewing over what's going to happen next in your marriage. You got to know this truth. And it's this, Jesus is all I need. He's all you need. I, you, you've got to remember, Jesus is enough. And it's not about Jesus plus this, Jesus plus this. Jesus is all you need. If that's where you can start, Jesus is all you need. And, and, and if you can learn that, Jesus is all you'll want. I mean, trying to figure out what our kids are going to do after college and trying to get them in the right scholarships, the right school, all this. If Jesus is all you need... He's going to be with you. You're going, to, you're going to figure it out. They're going to figure it out. It's going to be okay. But it's not about you rowing against the wind. It's about you knowing Jesus is all I need. Let me conclude with this, everybody. Yesterday, I got a video from Horseshoe Bend, Arkansas. Anybody ever vacationed at Horseshoe Bend? <laughs> of course you haven't. There's like populations like 300 that's including cattle. That's where my grandma Carol lives. You know, Jesus is all I need is a lesson that I learned, not just from my mom and my dad, uh, but, but my mom and my dad learned it from their parents. That was the first generation, my mom and dad's parents, my grandparents were the first generation that really surrendered their lives to Christ and made Jesus the center of their lives. And it took a while, my grandma, Swadley, my mom's mom, prayed for my grandpa Swadley for a long, long, long time. Went to church faithful without her. Listen, listen, lady, you're here and your husband's not with you and you've been praying. Go with the faith you have. Mustard seed faith. 
eventually he gave his heart to the Lord and it was on his way to church on a Wednesday night at 60 years old, massive heart attack. He was driving, let go of the wheel. They went through the pasture. He was gone like that. Many years later, about 20 years later, my grandma Swadley died. My, my grandpa Yancey on my dad's side, my dad's dad, he was strong as an ox, hands like the size of Andre the Giant, but tender, just tender and loving and, and, and showed us how to be a, like a velvet covered brick and love Jesus full force. But cancer took him from this side of heaven. My only grandparent living now is Grandma Carol. Grandma Carol is in her late 80s, lives in Horseshoe Bend, Arkansas, in a little nursing home. Grandma Carol, she taught us all how to fish. Uh, six of us grandkids out at their lake on their 200 acres, they, they, they raised all kinds of cattle and they farmed. I mean, they had the whole thing, massive lake that they stocked with fish. But we were small and Grandma Carol couldn't swim, so she would literally tie us to trees with long ropes and we would be at the shore like this. She's like, Grandma can't swim, so you guys got to be tied to these trees. I also think it was, you know, to give her a break, too. She's like, I'm going to go in the house for a little bit. I'll see you Tuesday, you know. She'd tie us. We'd learn how to fish. We learned how to put a hook on a worm or, or no, how to put a worm on a hook. It's getting late. And... Uh, she would make chocolate gravy. I'm not talking about biscuits and sausage gravy. I'm talking about choc-cocoa gravy. Uh, bless God, don't get me preaching about cocoa. Is it calorie-free? Uh, no. But it's good. If you want some, come on over. I'll make you some for breakfast tomorrow. She, uh, she, arm, she could beat me in arm wrestling until, she, until I was 13 years old. I, I don't know if it's saying much about her. It's definitely saying something about me. Love for life. Funny, quick-witted, just crazy stuff you wouldn't expect a grandma to, to sneak up behind you. Ah, just scare you to death. Sickest I've ever been as a kid at her house while mom and dad were on a vacation away from us kids. Just the sickest I've ever been. And she just crawl up in bed with me, put her hands on my, on my little 10-year-old chest. Oh, Jesus. And she just pray over me. And then get up at four in the morning and go milk the cows because they had a dairy that what, those cows weren't going to milk themselves. And now in her late 80s, she's been suffering for years with severe dementia, Alzheimer's, has taken her from us before life has taken her from us. She doesn't know who we are. She thinks she's living 30 years ago. She calls us by different names. She gets nervous when, when you correct her, so we just we, we start living just with her, and we try and enjoy those, those if anybody knows it, it's those glimmers, just it's, it's, it's the notebook, but without the romance. It's the, it, it, it's the hard part without the love story. And my dad was visiting her yesterday with my mom. Doesn't even know who they are. But my dad brings his guitar, and he begins to play little songs that they grew up singing, and it's amazing. It's amazing how she doesn't even know her own youngest son's name. But there's something inside, not in her brain, but in her spirit, that Jesus is 
all she needs. And as they sing those songs, that stuff kind of begins to pour out. And my mom just opened up her phone and began to film a little bit. And here's my grandma singing just a little bit of a song from a long time ago. There will be no more sorrow It's fun to sing, she says. <laughs> hey, would you sing those words with me today? Pastor Cody, would you lead us? There will be no more pain, sickness, sorrow, or death. And the saints, they will never you of something though heaven is our permanent home for those that put our faith in Christ Jesus but it's not about what the streets are made of everybody it's not about the gates that are made of pearl or that you may meet Peter at the gates it's not about the sea that's made of crystal or the beautiful city of gold what makes heaven heaven is not the material that it's made of but who is in it and Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. If Jesus isn't there, you don't want to be there. But what makes heaven, heaven is Jesus' presence. And when Jesus is all you need, he'll be all you want. Would you pray with me this morning? 
heads bowed in all locations, you're here and you're sinking, you're hurting. There's a storm and you are inviting Jesus to meet you right where you are. It feels like the fourth watch. If that's you, would you just put up a hand? And right now you're reaching out and I want you to know Jesus is reaching down and, and grabbing your hand right now. He's not leaving you with a hand up without walking towards you, without, without walking on top of what you're sinking in. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, every hand that's raised here in Lufkin, there in Dieball, God, we pray that you would meet them right where they are in the middle of that storm, in the middle of the sinking, in the middle of the struggle. You are faithful to do what only you can do. And even in the middle of your, you, you, you are ready to stop and move and be moved by our prayers and be moved by our cries for help. And you reach out and you draw near to us as we draw near to you. May we hang on to that now. If you put your hand up in the air, would you just now put your hand on your heart? Father, thank you for the promises of God all through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that we can cast our cares on you because you care for us. That the, the faithfulness of the Lord, the, the steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. That in the middle of my strength running out, your strength is perfect. And so we lean on you today in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And God, for those that are in the room today that need to surrender completely to you. They've been rowing against the wind and they've not invited you into the boat. If that's you today and you want to invite Jesus to be the center of your life, it's not about what you could ever do. It's about simply inviting him and have faith and believe he is who he says he is. In your own words, you'd say, Jesus, I believe you. You're the son of God. Thank you for not being mad at me today but for giving me this moment to make things right with you. I surrender. I step off the throne of my life. Would you take up the throne of my heart? Be the king of my life. I lean into you today, not on my own understanding. I take next steps now with you. Thank you for guiding me. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said a good amen. Can we celebrate those that are making a decision to invite Jesus in the center of their lives?